Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. We're wrapping up a teaching series that's been called Afflicted. And uh, some of you are like, yes, thank you. We're finally closing this thing up. We don't need to talk anymore about affliction. It's been hard. There's been difficult things to talk about along the way. But as we've gone through this series, we've been looking at the life of David and some things surrounding the life of David that have happened that really taught him what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to see where David struggled in his life, where affliction came into his life, and how David still ended up following God and overcoming some of those things. Uh, And so for us, we take the same opportunity to say, what do I do in learning to be an overcomer in the things that happen in my life when affliction is involved, when there's pain and hardship and turmoil and all the stress that goes along with life? How do I continue to follow God? And so really, there's been two themes that have flowed through this series. We've talked about a couple of things, and here's what I want to give you as we start off this morning. Number one is that affliction can come from anywhere. We can have affliction that comes into our life from all kinds of different directions. It could be from outside forces. You may have an enemy that causes you pain. You may have some kind of a, a thing that's external to you that's the, that you don't have control over that's bringing pain into your life. The second thing could be that we have our own sinful desires that bring pain into our lives, that we pursue things that are troublesome, that are sinful, that are hurtful in the eyes of God, and it brings affliction to us just as a result of our sins. And then the third thing is that we are often unaware of God's word. And as a result of not knowing the word of God, we do things that go against the word of God, which brings affliction into our lives, which brings pain into our lives and trouble into our lives. So the first thing we see there is that affliction can come from anywhere. The second thing is that affliction can be a great teacher. That if we're going to be honest and if we look at life, we can see like David does as he writes in Psalm 119.71 and says, it was good for me to be afflicted because I learned in that to follow your decrees so that I might learn your decrees. And so David would say, listen, as I mature in my life as a follower of God, there are things when affliction comes into my life that it's good for me to understand what affliction does in me and through me. That when God introduces some hard things into my life, that doesn't mean that I should turn away from God and turn against God, but rather I should learn to see what's happening in the middle of those trials, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the conflict that helps move me forward in my faith so that I can continue to follow God and overcome things in my life. So this morning... We're going to turn to Psalm chapter 107. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to look at an incredible poem that highlights the afflictions that we face in life and the power of God to respond when we cry out to him. And you've probably found yourself in a position in life, in a place in life where you've faced hardships, trials, afflictions, all of these different things that we've been talking about in this series. And you would say, man, there's really kind of two ways that you go about that. For a lot of us, when something hard comes into our life, That's when we decide, well, I'm just going to have to really buck up and take a step forward in my own power, in my own ability, in my own strength, and I'm going to have to do something to get over this. It's about me and how incredible I am. The second approach is probably the better approach, and that's where we go, we need to cry out to God and to say, there's this thing that's happening in my life. I can't endure it. I can't overcome it on my own. I don't have the ability to survive this. God, would you please come 
and bring deliverance to me. So we learn through our trials to cry out to God. And so here's what we see, and we're, we're going to look at this morning, is that we're going to see three different groups of people go through afflictions. Then we're going to see how they respond to that affliction in crying out to God. Then we're going to watch God's response back to them. And then we're going to see the ultimate response of praise that comes from his people when God moves to bring deliverance. And so we're going to see this theme repeating over and over again as we read this, uh, this psalm, which is really a poem. And so here's where we start. Psalm chapter 107, just the first three verses to begin. Here's what the author says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those that he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. And so just the starting point for us this morning as we focus our attention is this, that this is about God, it's not about us. And so what we have to learn to do in our lives is keep the perspective and the focus on God because all of life is about God. It's all about doing things his way. We're to give thanks to God because he's good. His love endures forever. And the way that we keep the focus on God is by telling our story of his powerful works in our lives, that we see the acts of God in our lives and then we respond by telling his story. In the New Testament, a lot of times the word for God that we utilize is agape, that it's this God-given love. It's a, it's a love of God for his people. It's this agape. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word would be hesed. And it's this term that means it's a covenant love. It's a love that says, I choose you, and I want relationship with you. And no matter what comes along, I'm there for you. And so what we see in this passage, what we see most of the time in the Old Testament is we read about the unfailing love of God is this love that chooses us, that moves toward us, that loves us and wants a relationship with us and will do anything to bring us into that relationship. And so that's the starting point. But the thing that the psalmist is going to talk about in some of the ways that God rescues his people from afflictions and the messes we find ourselves in are going to give us perspective on what God's doing here. So pick back up with me in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 32. He says, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and they despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness, the utter darkness, and he broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways. And they suffered affliction because of their iniquities or their sins. They loathed all food and they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. 
Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the, warm, the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Now, as we read this, in each of these instances, there's this common storyline and pattern that we need to hear and understand this morning. Four things that I really want us to see. Number one is that we find ourselves in distress facing affliction. Like, and that happens all the time. We find ourselves in a place where distress has come into our lives. We're facing affliction. Number two is that we cry out to God for salvation. That we see this pattern. There's distress that comes into life. Then there's a cry for help, a cry to the Lord for salvation. Number three is that God then responds with the perfect solution to our needs. That we see how he takes where we are in the distress that we're under and the pain that we're experiencing. And when we cry out to him, he goes, this is the perfect answer to the problem you're facing. This is the perfect response and solution. And then number four, we respond to God in praise for his character and his love. That our final response when we see God move on, be, on our behalf in our lives is that we respond with praise. That we don't just go, good, got out of the trouble, guess I'll go on to my next thing. But that there should be a moment where we come back and we put ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we just worship and praise him because he's rescued us from all of our distress. And so we see these patterns take place. And what I want us to do is go back through this psalm and kind of break down and see how this plays out uh, as we look at these different groups of people. So the first group that we find uh, in Psalm chapter 107 in verse 4, it says, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. These were people who were afflicted by a lack of purpose and a lack of direction in their life. What's the description of them? They're just wandering in the desert. And they can find no way to a city, a safe haven, a place of rest, a place of peace, a place of community, a place of purpose, a place of security. They're just wandering in the desert with no hope, no purpose, no plan. I mean, how many people in our world live like this all the time? That they're just wandering through life. God isn't really on their radar they don't have any sense of purpose about him and a relationship with him. There's nothing that's driving them. They're just kind of wandering through. Anything that I find is going to be good for me in the next stage, right? And without purpose, which we're built for and designed to live out, we'll chase all kinds of things. Like we will pursue all kinds of things, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or money or relationships or whatever it may be to fill the void in our heart where we lack purpose, we'll pursue all kinds of things trying to get meaning and direction. And he goes, this is the, the place where they are. We see this play out in our co uh, culture right now. Uh, recently, something that's been called the great resignation has taken place, uh, especially in our business world. Where in our culture, we would say there are people who have left good paying jobs that they enjoyed for the pursuit of something that they wanted to make more money. 
And here's what statistics are playing out, that 42% of people who have left good jobs that they enjoy doing to go and pursue more money would say that they're not content and not happy in their jobs. Why? The main reason is they don't find a sense of purpose and fulfillment in it. Yeah, they're making more money, but they're not any happier. There's no purpose, there's no enjoyment, there's no fulfillment in that. And so for us, when we think about how are we pursuing things in our lives, the primary reason that God places this in us, he hardwires in us a sense of purpose, comes from the fact that we have a purposeful creator. We are designed to be like God. He's placed this sense of purpose in us. We don't just kind of wander into life. We're not some accidental formation of proteins that the universe spit out and we go, well, because of all these things happening around us, I guess we'll, we'll discover and learn and find purpose. That's not it at all. We have purpose in life and crave and desire purpose in life because we have a purposeful God who placed that in us. And its cause is to push us to find him because we'll try to find purpose in everything under the sun and it always leaves us lacking. And it pushes us to go, there's got to be something else out there, bigger than me, bigger than what I'm chasing, to give me real, genuine purpose. And the answer is found in Jesus, that he satisfies us, that he fulfills us. So when this group that we look at in Psalm 107 gets to the end of their rope, they're looking for a place to belong, a desire for purpose, they don't find it in their wanderings, then they cry out to God in their distress, and what does it say? And he delivered them. Right? When they will humble themselves and cry out to God, he delivers. And look at how God answers this cry for help. It says, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. He offered them in the end of their wandering a straight path. Right? Remember, they were wandering around. God goes, here's the path. It's straight. It's easy. You're wandering and looking for a city where you can belong? Let me lead you to a city. Now you've got a place of security, a place of rest, a place of purpose, a place of peace, a place of relationship. And God takes them exactly where they intended to go, but they were just wandering around in life. He goes, I'll provide a straight path there. And then what's their response when God answers them like that? It says, let them then give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So we're going to put something on the screen, and I want you to read this with me this morning. We're going to see this over and over again this morning as we go throughout. But if you will, just read this statement with me. In our affliction, we cry out to God who knows how to rescue us and deserves our praise. Like, that's what we see. In our affliction, we cry out to God who knows how to rescue us and then deserves our praise. Here's the second group of people. Group two says some just rebelled against God. The passage actually said that they sat in darkness and deepest gloom. They were prisoners in iron chains. And here's what we find as we read this, their rebellion was against God's word and against his counsel. They knew what God said. They just chose to go against that. Like, I know the word of God. I understand what it says, but I'm living in open rebellion against that because I don't want to humble myself to the God of the universe and live under his authority. And so it says they are now in deepest gloom and in darkness, imprisoned and chained. And you just get this sense of these prisoners who are, uh, who are bound because of what they've experienced in life. They've gone against the things of God. For, uh, for us, we've looked at this series. David didn't follow the commands of God when it came to bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And it cost him. Right? His, his 
inability to know the word of God or his lack of respect for the word of God caused him to do something that went against God's words and it cost people their lives and it cost David affliction in his life. But when we do things God's way, it brings hope and peace. Now, your sin may not land you in literal prison in handcuffs, but you might find yourself imprisoned by alcoholism or pornography. You might find yourself imprisoned by dependence on prescription drugs or an eating disorder, any number of things that you feel helpless to escape from, that you feel like you're in darkness and deepest gloom, that you're chained, and that there's no escape. And what's the solution? What do we see these people who rebelled against God do? It says they called out to God. They cried out to him into their distress And then he comes and he rescues them. We're told that he brought them out of darkness and broke away their chains. God is a deliverer. It says he tore apart the bars of iron. He's powerful to release you from what you're held captive by. That he can take you and he can bring you out into hope. He can release you from doom and gloom and darkness and imprisonment and chains and shackles. And he can set you free when you cry out to him. And he's waiting for you to do just that. And then when he does deliver, we're supposed to respond with open praise. Verse 15 and 16 say, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. Right? And some of you, some of us, have been delivered from some some pretty powerful things. And sharing your story goes a long way to help other people who are experiencing where you've been when you've sat in your chains and in your darkness and in your gloom. And if you would just share your story, which is what happens here, when they praise God, they give him open praise, a report that he's brought them out. I can't tell you how powerful that is and how many times that I hear stories of people who go, man, when people get up on stage here and they share about their brokenness and their pain and the things that they've suffered through in their life, It gives me hope to know that God can redeem me and deliver me from that same thing. I thought I was all alone. I thought I was the only one in the church that was struggling with that affliction. You're not. You're not alone. But it's powerful and it's helpful for us when God has delivered us from some things, especially those of you who have been through some really dark, hellish things, to be able to openly share your story and say, this is what God's done for me. It gives other people the ability to say, God can and will deliver me from my pain and from my fears and from my prison. So here's the statement. Again, I want you to read this with me as it comes up on the screen. In our affliction, we cry out to God who knows how to rescue us and he deserves our praise. Then we move on to verse 17 through 22. We find a second group of people who are living in rebellion and we're told that it was their sin that leads them to be afflicted. They're facing illness due to their rebellion against God. Verse 18 says, they loathed all food and they drew near to the gates of death. And here's what's crazy about that. When you live in open rebellion against God, even the things that should be good in life end up being bad. (laughs) Because they even loathe the idea of food and drink. The things that should be good and fulfill us and give us joy and comfort Because even when I'm rebelling against God, that stuff doesn't work. And for them, this passage says that they had turned to a place where they had drawn near to death. It really is resulting in sickness for them. That they're going, their rebellion has led for them to be sick, physically sick. In fact, it makes me think about in the New Testament, 
when we find the writings of Paul to the church in Corinth, and Dave read from that letter this morning as we took communion, but Paul was explaining to the people in the church that there was an abuse of the Lord's Supper that was taking place in the church. They weren't doing things in the prescribed manner that God had set out for them. And because of their sinfulness and their rebellion against God, Paul writes and says, some of you have gotten sick and some have even died because you've gone against the things of God in this. God takes his glory seriously. And he says, there can be sickness. Now, I want you to hear this and say that every time you get a cold or every time you get sick or if you've got to go to the hospital for some reason, it doesn't mean God's punishing you for something that you've done in your life. But God can use that as a tool to get our attention. He can use sickness in our life. He can bring us to the gates of death, if need be, to get our attention to call out to him. And for these people, when they cry out to him, he responds. And here's their response. They cried out to the Lord, and he healed them, and he rescued them from the grave. And when God brought healing, they replied with worship and praise, making sacrifices and singing praise to God. So here's our statement again. I want you to read this with me. In our affliction, we cry out to God, who knows how to rescue us, and he deserves our praise. In our affliction, when we draw near to death, when we face sickness, when we've been rebellious against God, and he brings something into our life, our response is we cry out to him. We need him. Only he can deliver us. And he's good and faithful to rescue us. And then we respond with praise. And then here's our final group this morning. We come to a people facing affliction in this psalm. And here's what we find from this group. Some bad things come into their life for nothing that they've done. It's just circumstantial. They are people who are in ships out on the sea. They're merchants. They're probably business traders. They're probably prosperous people. And all of a sudden, a storm comes up. And it says in the middle of this storm, you just see the imagery there that they, they reach up to the heavens and down to the depths. That's just the, the front of the boat. Is that the bow? I don't know anything about ships. This ship is going up in the sky under the waves, and then it comes crashing back down. And if you get seasick like my mom used to, anytime that you were on a boat, you knew you were going to spend the rest of the next day just kind of walking around like a drunk person. And that's what it says that they do. They were just moving around like drunkards because the storm has impacted them. They've been hit by this thing, nothing that they did that caused it, but God has this storm that comes up, and it says that they have to cry out and scream out to God in the middle of the storm, because what else do you do? You have no control over the wind and waves, right? You can't do anything to make a storm stop. It says when they cry out to him, God stops the storm, and it goes back to like it was before. There's peace. It reminds me so much, because only God can do that. When we cry out to him in the middle of these things, only God can bring deliverance from storms. And it reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament when the disciples are on a boat with him and he's asleep in the boat and this storm rages up. And all of a sudden, the disciples, who are fishermen, they know the waters. They know how to navigate these things. They think they're going to die in this storm. It's that bad. And they have to go and wake Jesus up and go, don't you care that we're about to drown out here? And Jesus wakes up and he just yells out over the boat, peace, be still. And he says, in that moment, the wind and the waves died down and the lake goes back to calm. 
And the disciples who have been with Jesus, they've seen Jesus do incredible things. When he does this, they look around at each other and go, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Only God can do that. And it's supposed to be showing us that Jesus is God. He's God made flesh. He came to this earth to rescue us from the storms that we face in life. And only he can rescue us. Only Jesus is capable of doing that. So when they cry out, we're told that the correct response for God's salvation to them is that they praise him. They exalt him in the assembly of the people and in the council of the elders. In other words, when they get back to land, they go and they find the leaders of the community. They go, let us tell you what happened to us out on the water. We cried out to God and he saved us. And there's this open praise. They experience the power of God to rescue them. And here's our statement. We're going to read this one last time together. In our affliction, we cry out to God who knows how to rescue us and deserves our praise. And so we're going to sing again in just a minute. And I'm going to go ahead and ask our band to come back up. And our response this morning is to think about where we've seen God at work in our lives. What do we see God doing? all around us? And how do we respond to him with praise? To go, God, you've been so good to us. We want to praise you. In our affliction, we cry out to you. You know how to rescue us. You deserve our praise. And here's what I would say for us this morning. You're only one cry away from salvation. You're only one cry away from the God of the universe turning to you and bringing salvation to you. And I want to give us just a couple of more thoughts this morning. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. God's able to save you from your affliction when you cry out to him with a genuine plea for help. When you bring yourself under his lordship, salvation is available for everyone. First, God will save you from your sin. If you cry out to God for salvation from your sin, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. God will save you from your sin when you cry out to him. Number two is that God can save you from your situation. He will save you from your sin. He can save you from your situation. And I use that word can because God doesn't have to. There are things you may face in your life and you cry out to God and you don't get a response like we saw in Psalm 107. And you go, well, I did cry out to God, Pastor. I mean, I cried out to him for, for my cancer to be taken away. I cried out for him for my, my parent to be healed. I, I cried out to him for my child to, to change their errant ways. I cried out to God and he didn't do what I asked him to do. He can, but he doesn't have to. And so our response in those moments is to really question and seek the answer is just knowing God enough. Is knowing the character of God enough. And it makes me think of two of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, the story of Job and a story from Daniel. Job goes through some of the most harsh affliction any of us have ever faced in our lives. He loses everything. He ends up being sick. And we find out it's all a test that God allows him to go through 
And at the end of it all, Job has been faithful. Job's been patient. Job has dealt with all kinds of crazy stuff. But at the end of it all, it comes to a place where he finally just starts screaming out to God and going, God, where are you? How do you let these things happen? What's going on? Like, haven't I been faithful? Haven't I followed you? Haven't I been, been right in your eyes? Like, what is going on? And he asks these questions. And then we're told in the book of Job that God shows up. And he steps into a moment with Job. And he starts asking questions. Hey, Job, where were you when I threw the stars into the sky? You got an answer for that one? No. Where were you when I told the sea, you can only come this far and then stop? Job goes, no, I wasn't there for that. (laughs) I don't know how you did that. I don't know what that looks like. And in a moment where Job doesn't know if God's going to heal him, restore him, bring things back to order for him. He has this glimpse of the character of God and the power of God. And here's Job's response. Job 42, verses 5 and 6. He said, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He goes, it's enough. It's enough just to see you. It's enough just to know you. You don't have to heal me. You don't have to change my situation. You don't have to make things better. If I die right now, I have seen your glory and it is enough. It's enough. I trust you. In fact, I repent of my selfish ways because you're enough. Then you get the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stand in the affliction of a king who wants to kill them because they won't bow down and worship an idol in his image and worship him. And he says, then I'm going to throw you into a fire. And I love their response. And I think it's something that every Christian should know and understand when we go through hardships in our life. Here's what these young men say. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, If we're thrown into that blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. These young men go, Hey, king, you think you're worthy of worship? Some people may give you theirs. We're going to worship God. And our God is able to deliver us, and we know he will. But if he doesn't, if in his sovereign plan he chooses not to, we're still going to follow him. He's enough. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to give up my life for some worthless idol when the God of the universe is before And so when you get to the end of Psalm 107, you get this last phrase, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So let's think on these things, church, that we would learn like David to say, it was good for me to be afflicted because I learned to follow your decrees. In my affliction, in my hardships, I learned to follow you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, as we sing these last songs together and we worship him, This could be your chance just to cry out to him like they do in this psalm. 
Just cry out. There's no magic statement that you have to make. It's just turning your life over to him and saying, I want you to be part of my life. You're going to be the biggest part of my life. And from here forward, I'm going to follow you. Just cry out to God. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.